Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. All right, let's get into the word this morning. And by the way, I don't want to miss the chance. Uh, the youth group is in uh, All for God. Y'all are doing an, a, uh, yeah, we already got the slide up there for the message, but it's, if you text YUM to the church number, don't mess up the church number and text the word YUM. One of our people did that. <laughs> I would love to think, find out what that person thought when they got that text. You can just slink out the doors. <laughs> so anyway, and you could get some Krispy Kreme donuts. So all of you are wondering what that's all about. Uh, we want to help them out. The information's in the bulletin. A message is titled, Staying on Course. And... I want to begin with a little story, tell you a little bit about our history. In uh, 1986, we, we bought our first, and it, we've only done this twice, so it was our first new car. Up until, since then, it's been the, the truck that sits outside now. It's been the second new vehicle we've actually bought. But the first one we bought was a 1986 Nissan Stanza wagon. Why is it not? Jafet, you may have to do something, bud, because I'm not advancing the slides and I'm pushing the butt. There we go. Um, that's exactly what that car looked like. It was a 1986 Stanza wagon. Uh, I, they called it a wagon, but it's more minivan than wagon. You sat up in it. It, was, it wasn't like a car that you were sitting low in. As you can see, it has a raised ceiling on a roof on it, if you will. And actually, both rear doors slid open so you could run through it if you had the new. Um, and, and so it was a nice car. We bought it and we enjoyed it. And, uh, but by 1995, our family had expanded to three children. It did not have a third row and it, they were small and my daughter, Emily, sat in the seat behind me in her car seat, and she just loved to punch the back of my seat with her feet. And I was getting tired of that. And when you do a trip to Florida, and there's a three-year-old just enjoying herself on the back of your seat, dancing to music, whatever, didn't matter. It was still my back that was moving, and I wasn't interested in that kind of a massage. So... We determined that we needed to step up a little bit, and we had a used car salesman in our church at the time. This was in Wellsville at Pinchel Park Assembly, and we had a used car salesman at the time, and I told him our dilemma that we were looking, and this car had been a really good car to us. I, I wasn't trying to get out of it because it wasn't, it was a really good car. Um, I hated to actually get rid of it because of its 
its track record for us. In any case, I told the uh, used car salesman in our church about our dilemma, and he said, you know, I may have something in mind for it that, that would fit you just perfectly. And he begins to talk about this GMC Safari van. Uh, it was a minivan, a real minivan. It was, a, it was larger and um, just barely mini because it was... They were, they were big. You'll see. I got a picture of it. And, and he's telling me about this, but he said, there's one thing that may give you a little bit of pause. It has 130,000 miles on it. Well, the one we're trying to get rid of only had 110,000 miles on it. And I was a little bit hesitant on it. And so I, I said to the guy, look, um, Pastor Amy and I, we need to pray about this because uh, we just... I want to know that what I'm doing is the right thing. And he was okay with that. He attended the church, and he was okay with that. But it, again, he's a used car salesman. I don't know. So I'm just saying. And 130,000 miles on it. The price was right. We could work that deal out. But, and, and this is what it looked like. So I'm going to tell you what it, this is what it looked like. It was a nice van, man. And I'm, we were rocking in that dude right there. Uh, and um, it, was, it had the plush seats and uh, the, it was that maroon seats all the way through and carpeting. It looked sharp and my kids were loving it. And I loved it because it got them w way away from me. And there was no way my daughter could touch me from, that, from her seat then. And so we prayed and we got a full-on green light from the Lord to to buy the van. We bought the van. There you see a picture of one that was, it's, that was not our van, but it, it was the same color scheme and everything uh, as ours. And, and um, we, we bought the van. We drove it for three, four years, put 70,000 miles on it. You can do the math. Now we're tipping the, the, the score at uh, 200,000 miles after about four years. We did a lot of driving on it. That community was a wonderful community, but we were out. You had to drive 12 miles to get to a grocery store. So, it, you know, anything you did, you were going places to do it. And, and, and so a couple trips to Florida back and forth. But once we were starting to get around 200,000 miles, I'm thinking, I just, I'm a little uncomfortable trying to drive all the way to Florida in this van. And I, you know, we owned it for that time. And the only thing I did to this van, I changed the starter myself and I put a serpentine belt on it another time and never added one quart of oil. It was marvelous. It was a godsend. And in fact, we sold it to a church member when we were done with it. Now, that's a big, that was a no-no for me in my past. I'm like, I ain't trying to sell something to a church, not a car, because you know, stuff happens. And they'll be looking at you, the pastor, saying, I ain't coming to your church. You're deceiving good lion, you know, sold me this piece of junk. And, but we sold it to somebody in the church. And listen, we, we stayed at that church for a while. By the time we left, they had 264,000 miles on that van. It was a good van. And, and I want to take you, I, I told you all of that story because I'm going to take you to a point in Israel's history that they were trying to get their bearings with the Lord. 
Um, they were trying to figure out how their relationship with God would, would go as they proceeded into the land that God had promised them. All right, so you know the time frame we're we're talking about, the time after Moses had died, and now Israel is, it has a, they've, they've, well, God appointed a new leader. That's always the best way for things to happen. God actually appointed a new leader, and it was Moses' assistant, Joshua. And it was a time of those, it was big changes because Moses had died, and Joshua was there, and they, they had just crossed the River Jordan. God dried up the River Jordan before them like he had done the uh, Red Sea. And they crossed nearly, uh, estimated two, two million or so people cross on dry land into the new territory. And, they've, uh, uh, and, and, and so shortly after that, the people pledged their devotion to God and Joshua. And I'll show you this here in the word. Joshua chapter 1 verse 16 reads like this. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us and we will go wherever you send us. Now these are important words I want you to hang on to today. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. Now I said in the first service, eh, that's a little loose translation. If you know anything about how they obeyed Moses, that's, you know, uh, Joshua's like, yeah, okay, Lord. Or them, the people are actually the ones saying it. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders. Now listen to these words. These are the people saying these words. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. They're going to have to measure this in just a few weeks of saying it. So be strong and courageous, they say to Joshua. Great words. That's the kind of stuff you want your people saying. Any leader that's ever lived would love hearing stuff like that. We're with you, man. We'll do whatever you say do. We'll go wherever you take us. You're in charge, and we're with you. They've watched. Now, if we go uh, uh, a few chapters ahead... <coughs> They've watched as the walls of Jericho fall miraculously and, and, and Joshua and the people are feeling pretty good about themselves. And here's, um, so here's what the word says regarding Joshua now in chapter 6, verse 27. Look at this, this uh, with me. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. The Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. Once again, this is the kind of stuff you want. This wasn't a bad reputation. Now the people all over the territory, they'd already been hearing about Israel in the desert and Moses and all of the stuff that, that God did with him there. And now Joshua's in charge, and they, they see what happens here in Jericho. And so his reputation had spread in a good way. And so what happens with people when things are going really well? What happens in our lives when things are going really well? You know what you do? You put it in cruise control. 
and things are really smooth, right? Right? How many of you use cruise control in your cars, your vehicles? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I love cruise control. I love it ever since it was invented. It's one of the greatest things to ever come along. I love it. In fact, when we got out of that stanza wagon, uh, that was the last vehicle that didn't have cruise control on it, and everyone since has had it, and I, I dem put demands on it. I go from my house, and it, I'm only on 22 for like, four miles, if that, and, and, uh, but I use cruise control. Just set it and forget it. That way I know I'm in good shape. Of course, you know, it's 22, so how often do you get to stay in cruise control on 22? Unless you're cruising at 20. So putting life in cruise control happens to the best of us. And I want to describe this for a minute so that you know what I'm talking about when things are really good. Spiritually, physically, and mentally, we can do this. We can put our lives in cruise control. When things are going well and we tend to put things in cruise control in many areas of our lives, you, things are good. And so, you know, you don't have to see, you're not trying to get food, you've got enough money, your, your vehicle's good, and, and you're in love with your spouse, things are good, you're in cruise control. Thank, thank you. Uh, at least you, but thank you for your support, brother. I, your wife thanks you as well. Did you? Yeah, amen. Come on, guys, take a cue, brothers. I'm trying to help y'all out. And you're just only one man caught on in all of that. I just slipped that in, but you were paying attention, really. Thank you, James. Man. Anyway, we what you do in cruise control, you you have a predetermined, a pre-established speed. The roadway ahead of you is clear. And that's why you put it in cruise control. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I use it as a safety check. I just set it at a mileage that I know I'm safe, miles per hour. And I know that it's safe. I just set it, and then I'm good. I'm not worrying about it. If anybody's, ha ha the, you know, you want to go faster, that's your business. You go on. You do your thing. But I'm just cruising. Life is good. Roadway ahead of me is clear. I do, I do all this stuff with cruise control. I'll, I'll reduce speed and, and I don't want to move my foot. I just move my finger, my thumb, man. Plus or little down, whatever I need to do. I'm adjusting to the traffic. Now I know they have adaptive cruise control. Some of you that got the newer stuff and you're, you're good. God bless you. Hallelujah. And it's even getting worse now. You can, you can buy a vehicle now that will do some of the driving even for you. Brakes, everything. They'll do it all. GM has is, is got one going on right now. It's awesome that uh, I don't have. And um, in any case, you can take it easy and sit back. But you know what happens when you start to operate that way as a believer? We tend to forget the fundamentals when things are going so well. Because you're not in a place of need. You're not hungrily or, or, or in a state of hunger before the Lord. Like, I need you. I need you more, more than yesterday. You're, you know, things are cool. The walls just fell, Lord. We're good. We just crossed the River Jordan. God's got our back. 
Everything's cool. You do that, though, in your own spiritual life. Everything's good. I, I'll get to the Word tomorrow. I'm a little bit rushed this morning, Lord. I'll get to it tomorrow, and then tomorrow becomes next week. You may stop reading the Bible. You may stop attending church. You may even slack up in your prayer life. Again, because things are good. And then reality slaps you in the face. Something happens, and now you're in desperate need again. I'm always amazed at people and wonder how their lives can, they wonder how their lives can get off track so quickly and easily, but they've been out of church for two months. I'll get the phone call. I'll get the phone call. Pastor, I don't understand. Yeah, I, you know, and how, how stuff and it just creeps up and creeps into your life and, 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 and you're on cruise control, but stuff happens and you really need Jesus. I get the phone call when you really need Jesus. This is falling apart. I don't understand. My finances are a wreck. Have you been tithing? Yeah, well, right now I have to give attention to the... And it just, all of the, you put it in cruise control because things are good. And sometimes you got to get a reality check. Kind of get a, you know, on occasion God will throw a brick to gain your attention. If, you, if you're cruising too easy, God has a way of throwing up a brick. You forget the fundamentals. But I want you to know something. You're in good company with this problem. Consider for a minute, Adam. You know things were good in the garden, right? I mean, really good. He has the perfect woman. You guys could have said amen right there. That was it. There was another. He has the perfect woman taken from his side. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. <laughs> so... Everything's perfect in the garden. Young married couple, you know they got some things to work out just yet. <laughs> so, you know, they don't have to. Listen, Adam doesn't have to toil for his food. Really. That, at that time, he doesn't have to work to eat. He doesn't have to make his way. And he's got a perfect wife. Yeah, I'll keep it PG. So, and, and so everything is good in the garden, right? Adam's on cruise control. Until his wife feeds him this fruit that he knows he shouldn't eat. And he eats it. And suddenly he gets that reality smack. Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? God comes looking for Adam. And Adam has to hide from God. 
He's no longer in cruise control, is he? I did something, Lord. That woman you gave me. <laughs> Diversion tactics didn't work. It's all her, Jesus. Did she? It's all that serpent. Consider Samson. He had miraculous power. Not just strong human power, folks. I need to make this clear to you. Um, you cannot kill a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey because you are strong. I mean, have you ever watched? I mean, listen, uh, uh, you know, enough of these children could gang up on me and I can't take them out. And I consider myself strong enough to handle most things. But it, you would overwhelm, a thousand men could overwhelm Samson if it wasn't supernatural power. He possessed it. And he could call on it whenever he needed it. He was in cruise control. But he began to ignore the fundamentals. His mom and dad tried to tell him, that woman you're after, she'll deceive you, bud. You ought not to be going down to that territory. God told us in his word to keep it in the family. I don't mean family, I mean family like Israel. Yeah. Just a little clarity there. So. At supernatural power, he was on cruise control, and of course, uh, she figured it out, and ultimately, it was Samson's demise. And finally, probably our biggest biblical example of somebody putting it in cruise control would be King David. Kingdom is good. He's good. He's got all the money, finances, the greatest army Israel had ever had. He's got it all. It's all there for him at his disposal. He can build stuff. He can put things together. He's got the money. He's on cruise control, and he cruises up on his rooftop. And then he makes his huge mistake that costs him dearly. Let's move on in, back into our story in Joshua now. We're going to move through a few chapters, but I've titled this next section just out of cuteness. You may not think it's cute or funny, but it is what it is. Ai Shmei. Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Oh, I got it there already. Sorry. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Attack, attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So here's what's happening. This is a picture, if you will, of putting it in cruise control. They overestimate themselves like all of us do when we put life, especially our spiritual lives, in cruise control. We overestimate our own abilities. 
After the Jordan crossing and the walls of Jericho falling, the spies figured, hey, we can handle this. And so they bring word to Joshua, and he says, okay, let's do this. He took the word of the men who had spied out the territory. These were not newbies to to him. These were trusted commanders and leaders that he sent to spy out Ai, and those trusted leaders came back to him and said, look, there's there's just no need to amass our whole army. Just give us 3,000 men. We'll go down there. We're going to whip their tails, and we'll be back in no time. Verses 4 and 5 read like this. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. How many of you could see that's a good slap? That's a brick. That's God throwing a brick. Got their attention quickly. They quickly found out that even on the small stuff, they couldn't do it without the direct involvement of God. Stay with me now, church. I'm going to say something that becomes a vital tipping point for the message. Take this part with you. Whatever, if you're taking notes or not taking notes, take a picture of this next line. This is the result of moving too fast and not taking a pause to see where God is on this issue. You have these opportunities. Really, you have them daily. But you certainly have them weekly, monthly, and yearly. Any of you married couples in this place, you encounter things like Pastor Amy and I, I described for you about this van that we were looking at. We paused and we prayed for several days and got a full-on green light before buying that van. And I want you to know that it was and left us blessed. It turns out for Israel there was sin in the camp. Now I have to back you up to Jericho to give you some answers on this, but... That was the short story. Here it is from Joshua chapter 7, just verses 11 and 12. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. Hear the words. I commanded. God is a covenant God. And he made this, gave this commandment and gave this instruction. He was very clear on his instructions to Joshua before the walls of Jericho came down. That's what he's talking about right now. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. There's more. 
That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. Uh-oh. Didn't we just hear? We will do what you tell us to do, Joshua. We'll go where you tell us to go. And it said that Joshua was in good standing with all of the people. All was well until Achan. <laughs> he decided to take some things in Jericho that were supposed to be set apart for the Lord. The Israelite soldiers from the lowest rank to the highest clearly understood that they were not to take anything from Jer Jer Jericho. But one man did. He took it upon himself. He just, it's what happens to all of us when we begin to lust after something that we ought not to, it, it, it ought not to gain that much attention to us. But there were 200 silver pieces. There was some beautiful cloth. It's just stuff that caught his eye. And he thought, wow, you know, what, what, what's this little thing going to matter? What's this? this nobody will miss this. Nobody will miss this, but you see, here's where the problem lies when a man or a woman or a young person determines that the way they think is the way they should be able to think and everything else should come in line with that. My feelings matter more than what God says. My gratification is more important than what God's Word tells me to do. And if that's your approach, you're going to find yourself experiencing the pain that Achan ultimately experiences. And the problem was that God had told them that everything of value was his. And it's, it's like a first fruit offering or tithe. Follow me on this. Those of you watching online, you got to follow me on this one because this is important. Jericho represents the first city, major city, that was in the land God had promised them. Jericho. And so God had said, everything that is of value, it's mine. It's set apart for me. Anything that has value, that's mine. I want every, everything else destroyed. Everything and everyone. I want it all destroyed. But anything of value, it's mine. It was a first fruit offering. It was like the tithes. And this principle applies the same as tithing does. It's the same principle as tithing. But thank God we're in an age of, of grace because what happens to Achan and his family when they do discover what has happened, actually the people stoned him and his family to death. Because God is a covenant God. And now, listen, you're not going to get stoned to death if you don't tithe. I don't know of a church that's doing that, and it's probably not a good practice, so I don't expect any churches to start doing such things. But I don't want you to miss, miss the principle here, because it's, it's glaring to me when I read it. 
and I see this whole story. It's, this is the first town, and God says, give me the spoils. It's like your tithes. Take them right off the top. Give it to God. God gave you the whole, the whole job, the paycheck. It, it's really all God's doing. And he's saying to you, return this portion to me first because that indicates to me that I'm actually first in you. Because our wallets tell the real story about what we believe. And we, do we really trust God with our finances? And so, no, you're not going to get stoned. No, uh, these severe attacks are not going to happen on you. But the principle is a principle you need to get. If you're tired of living in lack, then you need to understand this principle. Put God first in your finances. Just do it. Just take the step. Just put him first in your finances and watch God take care of you. We live in an age of grace, so I don't want anybody afraid like, oh, no. But in terms of where and how you honor God, God does view this. He does view this. What you actually do makes a difference. And how you do it related to your giving makes a huge difference. Listen to what he says in Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9. I don't want to miss this chance. I, you know, I'm a preacher. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So your impact is far-reaching. And, and so make God first in your giving. And so what happens in this scenario? Once the sin is removed, victory is secured. Listen, it happened. It was just like that. When, when, when Achan's family was revealed that they were the ones responsible for this, that they were the ones that had done this evil, and, and God said, hey, look, uh, you know, now you've got my blessing again. And so God blessed them. They turn around. They go down to Ai, and they completely massacre the people. And, and guess what God does? God tells them, now they can keep the spoils. You see the difference? Second place. God says, all right, go on. now you can have the spoils. Just needed you to understand, I should be first. Jesus conquered sin and death, so your victory is secured and sure. Jesus did that for you. He secured your victory. He was the first fruit. He was the first fruit offering. He took your sin. He took your pain. He took your heartache. He took it all on. And he won. But it pays to inquire. Now we're going to look at another passage of Scripture. We jump over to Joshua chapter 9. And I want you to see this story. It all ties in together. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, all right? So people are watching you. People are watching your life. 
Let your life be a testimony that brings glory and honor to God. So when the people had heard, they resorted to deception to save themselves. So let me give you a little backstory. The people of Gibeon were only a day and a half ride away from Israel. Uh, the scripture actually describes it, it was three days travel. But if you, you didn't stop or take breaks, you could get there in a shorter period of time. And, and so they made a decision seeing what God had done with Israel, with, uh, uh, you know, Jericho and Ai. They probably even heard about when they were in Egypt. They said, wait a minute, there's only one way around this. We're going to have to deceive them and become their servants because otherwise they're just going to destroy us. Again, they had heard about Jericho. They completely destroyed them. Ai completely destroyed them. There wasn't people, there was nobody. And I know you don't like the PG-13 stuff, but it is, that is what the word says. That is what happened. All people were gone, eliminated. Now verse 12, I'm skipping down to verse 12. This bread was hot from our ovens. This is what the people are telling uh, Joshua and the leadership of Israel. Hot from our ovens when we left our homes. But now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from a very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. I'm pausing for effect, but for you to catch this. The Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. Important words here. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. God is a God of covenant. You need to catch that principle. God is a God of covenant. It is covenant that buys your healing. It is covenant that buys your freedom from sin. It is because God made a covenant with you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But because of that wonderful, divine, first fruit offering, his only begotten son was sacrificed so that you could have access to God, to the holy of holies, to every area of need in your life, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in every zone. He covered it all. He's a covenant Keeping God. They made an agreement, a binding oath. And so what happened is the Gibeonites successfully fooled the Israelite leaders, including Joshua. The leadership ignored godly protocol. Do you remember the words? They examined the food or the bread with their eyes. So what is that telling you? This is no different than you going about your daily business 
and thinking that your thinking is going to get you where you need to be. They did with their human understanding, they accomplished this feat. Now, listen, they were deceived because they were using their eyes, their nose, and their ears. Their human senses. They thought, I can see the bread looks moldy. I can see their sandals and clothing is all worn out. I can see the wineskins they talk about are all messed up and worn out like will happen with leather over time and travel and, and dust and, and dryness and difficulty. When you get into, I, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. When you in your life get into those places where you're trying to use your eyes, your ears, your nose, your own understanding to figure out something and God's just on the sideline saying you can do what you want but will you ask me will you ask for my input because he'll let you you can make your way through you can do your thing you can have what you want you figure you got the money in your bank account God's all right then do your thing You see, God knows the rest of the story. God, and, and the scriptures tell us they failed to inquire of the Lord. They were suspicious. If you read the whole story, they were suspicious. Hey, how do we know that you didn't just come from a couple days away? We have no way of knowing that. This is before internet. This is for GPS, they didn't have the man looking over their shoulder saying, hey, did these people, are they telling the truth? Let me scan your card. Show me your driver's license. They didn't have any of that stuff. So I want you to understand something. The path to discovering the sin in Aiken's family was complicated and involved. It involved all of the tribes being caught up in the search, but God showed Joshua specifically. And why did I tell you that little bit? It's because I want you to understand something. Joshua knew how to communicate and hear from God. Are you still with me? You remember Jericho? Joshua got specific instructions. March around every day, one time. Here's how I want you to position people when they march. And here's what I want to happen when they march. And on the seventh day, I want them to march around seven times. Listen to the detail. I want the priest to be positioned appropriately, and I want them to blow their trumpets, and I want the people to shout. It was very direct. It was very specific. Joshua knew how to hear God's voice, but he failed to inquire. How many times have you done something and you failed to inquire of the Lord? It looked good. It felt good. It seemed right. You have the capability of doing it. This must be the Lord. And after all, they're a believer. 
I know I can trust them. Hmm. Joshua knew how to communicate with the Lord, but he failed to do so. Failed to even ask. And there, his failure to consult with the Lord resulted in a huge liability. Um, Weeks later, they end up having to defend Gibeon because of the covenant they had made with them. Remember? They made an oath. We will protect you. And they would be called on because of that oath. They had to protect Gibeon now. And see what happened is the Gibeonite leadership had come all the way to where Joshua and his people were. They had traveled away. And while they were gone, all of the kings that surrounded the land or the territory of Gibeon said, wait a minute, they're all gone. Let's go take it over. And now the leadership in Gibeon, the Gibeonites got word that all of these other kings had got together and they'd taken over their land, and they say to Joshua, you made an oath with us. Now you have to defend Gibeon. And they did. And so they have to expend resources in an area that God never intended them to have to expend those resources. And, and listen, I'll say it this way. God gives them the victory, but it's not without cost and unnecessary sacrifice. I want to bring this thing to a conclusion today. It's getting late, and I've kept you long, so here we are. Not this time. Joshua determines that he will never make a move again without hearing God's voice on the matter. Here's what what God speaks now to Joshua because he's bothering to ask the Lord. This is now Joshua chapter 10, verse 8. goes like this. Do not be afraid of them. I'm talking about the people who had invaded Gibeon. The Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them, the Amorites, into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Ezekah, and I'm going to try harder this time. Makeda, Makeda, I'll say it that way. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from from heaven that continued until they reached Ezekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Aijalon. Something like that in tongues. You get the translation. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemy. 
Never in history, before or since, has that happened. Tell me that God won't honor his people if his people choose to get his will in place in their lives. Notice verse 8 says, not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. But I want you to understand something in this concept, because it gets easy to, to look at this like, oh, it was just so easy. Are you kidding me? Did you hear the part about Joshua rode on it? And it's Joshua. He can't just turn it over to his other people. I'm talking about the supreme leader of Israel at this time. He had people. But he rode all night long to face battle the next day. You don't kill people with a sword. Running through the grass, light so fine. It just doesn't happen that way. It's, it's not frolicking in the green grass. No, you are fighting a battle. So I want you to understand something. Even when God is in the work, that doesn't mean the work will be easy. Doesn't mean the work will be easy. There's a part you play in it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You have to employ your faith and you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to. This is Joshua. He was actually engaged in this process. He wasn't just talking about the process. He wasn't just telling others, now you get over there and you do that. He was out there. He was with them. And of course, God showed up in a big fashion. But listen, God will accompany his word with signs and wonders. Because the hail took out more people than they did with the sword. Even with this miraculous intervention of God, God made the earth stand still at Joshua's prayer and word. God did that based on his covenant with his people. I told you I would give you this land. You just have to walk with me. So here's the deal, folks. When we fail to inquire of the Lord regarding steps we take, the cost can be high. So I've got a rest of the story. In 1999, after owning that beautiful GMC Safari, it's approaching 200,000 miles, and we're starting to get a little bit nervous about, you know, we, we want to take another trip to Florida. Her parents are three and a half hours away or so, and uh, we just, it was just getting to the point, and there were some occasions when she wanted or could go, and, and that was just the early stages of cell phone, and I was just uncomfortable letting her drive that thing three hours away and, and stuff, and, and so we're praying and asking the Lord, uh, we, we need to do something else. And so, lo and behold, uh, 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 minister friend of ours got called to missions and he said I have this van available it was a 1997 Ford Windstar it looked just like you're seeing it there that's not a picture of ours but it's one just like we got and you can see it looks nice 
It had all of the good stuff, and it only had 46,000 miles on it at that point. And so we were thinking, oh, this is great. This is great. It's a missionary. He's going to the mission field. So they have to, they have to let the vehicle go. They're going out on the field. They can't ship it across. It doesn't make sense to ship it across with them. So they need to, to unload the van, and we need another one, and this one looked good, and it looked new, and, and we thought, this is all right. It smelled more, not moldy. It looked right. It had low mileage. And we said to them, sure, we can do this. It felt right. We got the van. This was early November. So right, just like weeks from now, we got this van. We're all thrilled. And come Thanksgiving, we're going to go up to my wife's parents and show off our new-to-us van. All shiny, smells good, looks good, all that stuff doesn't have 200,000 miles on it. We put the, get our kids all loaded up, all three of them, and, and we get them all loaded up. We get in the van, and we, we're driving through. Uh, we, we're about 12, 15 miles from our house in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, so we're just about to get out of town, if you will. Sitting at a stoplight. Have any of you ever traveled on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? It was busy is what I'm trying to tell you. It was busy. That, that, that parking that, that light was like a parking lot. It was like a quarter mile to the next, to the light. And I'm sitting there and the light finally goes green. I, I step on the gas and it just went. That's not supposed to happen. What did I do wrong? Step on it again. Vroom! Check my gear shift. Put it in drive. Neutral drive. Vroom! People are now getting nervous. In the car and elsewhere around us. Honking horns. Things are starting to happen that are not supposed to happen in your new van. And so I said to Amy... You need to pray, because I don't know what's going on here. This ain't right. I slam it up into park, bring it back to D again, gas, nothing. So I think, I don't know, Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> that song wasn't out yet. But I pull it down into first gear, and it starts to move. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. We're getting up to 20 miles an hour. Shift it into second gear. It is still going. We're still going. I dip, shift it. I do it by hand, and we manage to get into driving. We're going, and I'm thinking now, should I drive all the way up there? And I was, I, this was dangerous, but I did it. I did it. And uh, I realized when we got, I thought maybe I'm not going to stop till I have to stop. At this point, it's going, we're going. Got the kids loaded up. It's Thanksgiving. We're going to, Black Friday was always a big deal for us at that time. We're, we're going to, and uh, so we, and I, then I parked at some spot. And guess what didn't work? Reverse. Right. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I, 
I don't know how we had to end up, I put it in neutral, was able to push it far enough to, to go back into first gear and do the shifting again by hand. And it ended up over that whole Thanksgiving weekend. That's what we had to do, only I made sure that I didn't park any place that I couldn't pull forward. You know, like you would do on a vehicle that had 200,000 miles on it. Not one that had 46,000 miles on it. And uh, ultimately, we had to put a transmission in that van. While making bigger payments than we were used to. You see, there's a liability that comes with the ignorance of ignoring God's plan. We failed to inquire of the Lord. We should have known better. We put it in cruise control. It looked good to us. It seemed right for us. We were helping a missionary get on the field by taking this van from them. And we thought we would be blessed in the process. I can tell you that I have not ever bought another Ford in my existence. <laughs> Ford paid a heavy liability for not for selling me a van, having a van that had the, and it happened across the lineup because that transmission was bad. It was bad. Ford had to deal with it, but they didn't help me out. This is entirely in your hands whether or not you inquire of the Lord. It's in your hands. God will let you do what you want to do. You have a free will. You can make your own way if you want to make your way. But if you will pause, like I said earlier, and inquire of the Lord, if you'll slow down life, for a minute. And I don't care how somebody's pressuring you. Look them right in the eye and say, I will not do this until God says to me, I can or should. At least get God's I can. Because he'll let you stumble around in the dark at your own discretion. You have a choice. You can decide to let God be God and put it in his hands. But listen to me when I say this as I, I close. And Pastor Mackay, you can come. N never take for granted your position or inflate your knowledge. Never take it for granted. Listen, this was Joshua. He didn't have the Holy Ghost like you have the Holy Ghost. All he had to do, though, was pause for a minute and say, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, I know what you guys are saying, but let me take a minute and pray. Will you do that? You can do this on little things. You can do this on big things. You, you make the decision. I mean, even stuff. You got the money to cover it. You can do it, but is it right? Because as I showed you the picture, that van looked good, but it wasn't good. And if I'd inquired of the Lord, God would have said, no, don't do it. God would have said no, but he didn't because I didn't ask. So this principle applies to every area of your life. If you will inquire of the Lord in the big and the small areas of your life, you can walk in the assurance of his blessings. If you're going to not inquire of the Lord, you're going to fight the battle on your own. And you may have to retreat, and there will be some death to some stuff or some, some destruction to some of the stuff. Remember, 36 of the Israelite men 
they were, they were killed. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. They didn't have it right with God. But you, you may have to face that. And then they had to bear the liability when they didn't inquire of the Lord by having to deal with the Gibeonites in their territory. What are you looking at right now in your life where you have not inquired of the Lord? What are you trying to do? Looks good, feels good, smells good, sounds good. What are you trying to do right now that simply needs you to pause? You say, but pastor, I've asked the Lord and I, I don't seem to get answers from the Lord. Then here's a problem that you need to overcome. Get to the place that you can understand his voice. So maybe you need to back it up even further so that you get to the right place relationally with the Lord that you're able to actually discern his voice versus just it feels good. It's got to be better than it just feels good. You got to know that it's the Lord. You got to know it. And I can't do that for you. Somebody else can't do that for you. You need to be at the place where you pause. And, and if I have to pause for days, then you pause for days. Well, they need an answer tomorrow. Then that's going to be a problem. Unless God tells you tonight. So, that's between you and the Lord. But if you're not hearing anything, then again... There's a blockage between you and the Lord because God still speaks. He sent His Holy Spirit so we do not have to operate in ignorance. We can know His voice, we can get familiar with Him, and we can do His bidding because we're familiar with His voice. So if you've got to pray out the blockages, pray out the blockages. If you've got a heart problem, pray out the, get the problem solved. If you need to repent of something, you've done something, you've gone somewhere, you've been in the middle of some mess, you've been distanced from the Lord, you've walked away from God, and your relationship's weak, so you're not hearing His voice, then get it right. Because He wants to get things right with you. Would you stand? Here's what I'm going to do. I do know it's late, and I fully understand that. You have plans and things to do. But I'm going to give you a moment to respond to this. And so do this for me. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you're here today, and you say, Pastor, listen, I know you're talking to me. I've got some stuff, and I, I, maybe you've been, maybe it's a tone, maybe it's an attitude that you've been walking in. It, you haven't figured this thing out yet and, and you know God's speaking to you and that, that you need to slow down and, and listen for the Lord and respond to Him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just lift your hand up where you're at and say, that's me, preacher. I need to get, get familiar with His voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty, folks. It's, some, it's hard sometimes to admit this, but I told you the story that I told you based on this understanding and brought, God brought this all back to my remembrance 
so that he can help you not to make that mistake. It doesn't have to be as big as a car payment. It can be smaller items. Inquire of the Lord. But you should never buy a car. You should never buy a home without hearing God say plainly, clearly, this is yours. This is where you go. Remember Elijah when, he, when the brook dried up? And God said to him, go to the land of Zarephath. And in the King James, a, a, a place called there. Go there to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman to take care of you. Do you think when he arrived and saw that widow woman that he thought it would be, well, we're baking our last cake. Do you think when Joshua, I mean, excuse me, when Elijah heard those words that he was thinking, I'm, I'm going to find a woman that has her last meal. No. But God did supernaturally supply for her and him that entire time. If you will listen for his voice, don't go there if God doesn't say, go there. Father, help each of us and those who raise their hands. But all of us, Lord, we all, we all desperately need to get familiar with your voice and understand your heed, heed your calling, Lord. Help us, Lord, to get wiser, stronger, uh, have more insight, and go with you according to your plan for our lives. And I know, God, your grace, in your grace, you rescued us from that. And, and, and we were able to live with and manage that van, but it wasn't your plan the way it worked out. I know it wasn't. I ask you, God, to help everyone in this place who's heard this word from me today. And it's not an, ind an indictment on a specific form of vehicle or brand. The reality is, Lord, everything that's used has the ability to fail. And so, God, help us to make the right choice by asking you before we make moves. These young people choosing a college. Lord, help them hear from you. Not just go where they think is need or they heard somebody else say, hey, this is a great place. Look at me. I'm blessed. Lord, help them to all understand. They need to hear your voice. Not just do something because they can these not so young people before they make a job change before they give up one job just because the other job looks better to not make that foolish mistake that they'll pause and call on you Lord and say is this your will is this your plan because Lord you may even keep us at a job where we earn less income but so that we might have the opportunity to minister to somebody that's lost and will land in hell if we're not there ministering to them showing them the way this applies to so many areas of our lives Lord big and small help us Lord to learn how to inquire of you and not make the mistake that Joshua and his leadership made. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Have an amazing day.
I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.